The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. We're back. I told you we'd be back this week. Very excited to have Brandon Vogel on. Brandon, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, off-season Christmas arrived this month, so I'm happy. I can, I've got enough to to keep me thinking for until football games return, so I'm good. Off-season Christmas, would that be S&P Plus ranking or projections? It would be the, uh, primarily the arrival of SP Plus. Like, I'll really take anything. Uh, FPI is good. Yeah, Sagarin usually doesn't do, do a preseason rankings but there's enough rating systems out there that i tend to enjoy diving into what they have to say about the season ahead when does fpi come out i keep checking every single morning hoping to see if fpi comes out and it hasn't yet i think it's usually in february or maybe right at the start of march um so should be should be coming out some point soon i would think because we're getting close to the start of spring ball for some places like I know there there are a handful of schools that start up like the first week of March, or shortly shortly thereafter. Yeah, um, not, so we're getting close. A couple weeks out. Yeah, I expect Nebraska to be one of those. Uh, nothing's been officially announced yet, but spring games April 9th. so they gotta they gotta get moving. Are you a big fan of teams having practices after the spring game? Uh, I don't can't say I've ever felt too strongly about it one way or the other. Um, I think, you know, for a while there, which is the way Nebraska's spring break would fall, they would have to split it and and take a break in the middle there. So, you know, the players would get two thirds of the way through and then, you know, go to, to Florida or wherever they went for spring break. And then I, that didn't seem like the best setup. So Nebraska's found a way to avoid that this year, at least they've also got real, they've got a hard out and that they've got to get new turf on the field. So Practice after the spring game, probably fine. Probably doesn't make for the best spring game, but I'm not even sure a best spring game exists at this point. I think I, I kind of feel like if 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 you have practices after the spring game, theoretically that would help, I think, because you would have some um I mean a spring game is not gonna be like the most accurate picture of what an in-game scenario looks like. But it's it's like as close of a simulation as you can get, given what you're working with. And so to have that and then to have a couple practices afterwards to have that kind of data point, I think might be helpful. Um, but I do think it's weird when you have to start and then you have spring break and you stop for a week and guys leave. It's it's if you could kind of like push it to where it's after spring break and then you get a couple practices in after the spring game i feel like that would be best case scenario but that's neither here nor there brandon i have you here today to talk about s&p plus you mentioned it already 
Um, Bill Connolly's projections over at ESPN came out for the new year last week or the week before, um, fairly recently. And we're going to talk about it. So I gave you a task to come up with a handful of teams that were surprising to you based on their placement, were interesting to you based on their placement, teams you just want to talk about um, as we look at these projections going forward. So let's just dive right in. Let's start with, I don't know if you ranked them. I don't know if you tiered them. I don't know how you organized them, but let's just start with whatever team you want to start with on Brandon Vogel's most surprising S&P plus teams. Yeah. So I guess maybe to set the stage quickly for those who may not SP plus is, you know, as you mentioned, Bill Connolly's kind of metric and what goes into that is basically three things, returning production, recent performance, which I think goes, looks back from two years ago to four years ago. Um, and then recruiting, which the recruiting piece of it is, you know, teams tend to recruit like they're going to recruit Nebraska basically recruits like Nebraska recruits, Indiana recruits like so on and so forth. So when I'm looking at this for my own purposes, I really put a focus on returning production. And then I look at something called Pythagorean wins, which is the simplest way to put it is an estimated win total based on your scoring differential. So like you outscored your opponent by this amount that usually translates to this record. And that gives you a sense of teams that are kind of going up and down. And when I do that in a spreadsheet, I literally put the returning production ranking right next to these Pythagorean win themes and color code them. So what I'm kind of looking for is green, green. That means a team that was probably better than this record might be a little undervalued um, and a team that returns a lot of production. So those are some things I'll be talking about when I go through some of these teams. That's probably the longest preamble I have. So uh, let's start with, I'll start with one that was uh, close to home for Nebraska. And I'm a little uneasy about it. Michigan State at 17. They've got an SP plus rating of 15.3, which means this rating system, with all the things I just mentioned, views them as 15.3 points better than the average college football team. I'll be surprised if they end up there. And I'm a little hesitant because I like Mel Tucker a lot. <laughs> Super impressive. They did not have a profile going into last year that would have led you to believe 10 and two, or I think 11 and two is what they finished was coming this year. They're a little of some good, some bad, which is they were 129th in that Pythagorean win differential that I look at, meaning they were about two and a half games ahead of, how many games a normal team would win with that scoring differential, but they're 36th in returning production. So they're going to bring a good amount back. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little, I don't think Michigan state is going to be bad. I don't think there's gonna be a major drop off. I don't think they're 17th in the country by the time we get to the end of 2022. So I'll start with that one. Do you think, so when you look at these, these projections from Bill Conley, Michigan and Ohio State are both in the top five. Michigan State is in the top 25. Do you think Michigan or Michigan State finishes second hmm. in that division? I would shade towards Michigan, even though – so they are fourth in those initial rankings, which you know feels a little bit high, not based on what they earned, but based on everything that has come since. <laughs> Jen Harbaugh was – almost no longer the coach uh, lost both their coordinators. So, and, and it was just a, a Michigan team that 
without taking anything away from what they did in 2021, it felt a little bit like a, a magic carpet ride type season. Like their offense wasn't that dynamic, but it was good enough and they kind of got some momentum. So I'd be surprised if Michigan stays that high, but I'd still put them a little bit ahead of Michigan State. Michigan was definitely one of the teams that when I saw they were four, I was like, oh, hello. Especially, especially to have Michigan right there and then Clemson one spot below them. That was interesting to me. Um, I had Tennessee caught my eye at number nine. So they finished top 20 in yards per play last year, 14th in success rate, seventh in scoring. Um, they were 10th in, in Bill Conley's final S&P Plus projections. And if you kind of go back and look at those, those final ones, there's not a ton of movement with with these early season projections some of the teams that were like top 10 in his returning production like stanford byu those they caught huge bumps um but for the most part it's largely the same but then you look at like some of the other um the model based rankings like they're 26th in fpi 17th ranked offense 32nd in zagarin um and then bill has them with like the seventh best offense in the country last year 10th in S&P plus. So like Hendon hooker is the big name. He's coming back 31 touchdowns last year to just three interceptions. Um, they returned 74% of last season's production, which is 33rd nationally, including 80% of the offensive stuff. So they get their top running back back. They get their top wide receiver back, but they only get 46% of offensive line snaps back. So like, I'll be really curious to see what happens with them because how good is is the Hendon Hooker Josh Heupel pairing in year two? Now that SEC defenses have a season's worth of tape to kind of pour over and and look at what they tried to do, because like I mean SEC defenses are another level, so um, they'll be really interesting. I have a, a fun fact that maybe you know, maybe you don't. Um, Tennessee had the 17th best recruiting class in the 2022 cycle in the country. What is that? equate to in the sec only rankings i'm gonna guess eight eight yep eighth yeah eighth yeah that's <laughs> it's usually that range and it's you know t- it makes sense that it's tennessee south carolina seems to occupy that spot in a lot of years we're like oh they got the 20 22nd best class and it's the eighth best class in their conference yep tennessee is one of those teams that was almost on the list for me I think last year went way better than I expected for Tennessee. And I think it's going to be a little bit. So I think their ranking is probably earned. I mean, and obviously like nobody's deciding anything here. It's a model and it spits out what it spits out. Um, But yeah, it seems like a little bit too much too fast for me personally with the falls. It's one of those things where you look at this and then you, you probably oversimplify it and you say Tennessee's ninth Wisconsin is 10th. Is Tennessee going to be better than Wisconsin? in 2022 i don't know i don't know but like mississippi state is also 12th so like part of this is a function of just the sec is is really damn good and certainly fares well in in these kinds of models so i think that helps a little bit um but yeah we'll see we'll see with them who is the second team that you want to talk about Oh, where to go, where to go. Um, maybe I'll go someplace that feels akin to Michigan State. And I've also, this is another team that I have, I think will go down from where they're at currently, and that's Cincinnati. And through no real fault of Luke Fickle, he's doing an amazing job there. And I think they did a pretty good job in the 
the transfer portal, but you look at the cornerbacks that they lost, particularly Sauce Gardner, like that dude was <laughs> really, really good. Um, so I think their transfers will come in and it'll help mitigate this a little bit. But last year they were a little bit ahead of what they probably should have been, which happens for teams that, that go, you know, I think they, they must, they went 12 and 0, right. Um, 72nd returning production. So that's a team right now rated 17 points better than average. I think that'll come down. They'll still probably be, they'll start in the top 25. Certainly the conventional top 25 wouldn't be all that shocked to see them finish there, but I I'd be surprised if there wasn't a little bit more of a step back for the Bearcats. Yeah, when you go 12 and 0 and you're a team that that has that kind of profile, like there's not there's not a ton left to go up. There's not a ton of space left above you. It's it's mostly just like, well, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Desmond Ritter is gone, isn't he? They're gonna have a new quarterback. Yeah. So um I mean, I guess, you know, if Luke Fickle is a guy that uh, was deserving of, I'm not saying he's not, but was deserving of like USC attention, LSU attention, um, he'll certainly prove that in yeah. 2022 if they stay where they are. Um, since he was not on my list, I want to talk about Miami next. So they finished last season 32nd in S&P Plus, 39th in Sagarin, finished 23rd in FPI, FPI liked them. They returned 71% of their production, which kind of feels like, you know, one of those you're not going to get too worked up over it. You're not going to get too excited over it. The big one is quarterback Tyler Van Dyke, who returns. I've seen some people, I think 247 might have been one of them, that puts Tyler Van Dyke in the top 10 returning quarterbacks heading into next season, which seems a little overreactive to what happened in his last six games. Um, quarterbacks haven't particularly like been – super proficient in Mario Cristobal led teams. And then the, the combination of Josh Gaddis, Josh Gaddis and screw up a name every single time I do a podcast, mm-hmm. Josh Gaddis and Cristobal and Van Dyke is going to be interesting because like Miami did not run the ball last year. They had, I think one of the six lowest five or six lowest run rates in the country. They were at 42%. And then Michigan obviously was a run first offense. Um, and Cade McNamara went deep on about 15% of his pass attempts. Tyler Van Dyke went deep on 20% of his pass attempts. And last year for Michigan, the like the propensity for them to go downfield was a lot lower than what it was in 2020. They were significantly more run leaning. Miami does not have, at least, you know, not to me from way out, Miami does not have like a, a running back on its roster right now that Michigan had. It doesn't have a Hassan Haskins or a Blake Corum. Um, maybe, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't, I didn't think so. So how does that kind of pairing work? But they're 20th in S and P plus right now. Like I said, they finished 32nd last year. Um, could they be like a top 15 team with Tyler Van Dyke? I guess it kind of depends on how invested you are in that quarterback or how, how I, I guess wrapped up in the potential he showed over his last six games. Yeah. I was able to catch Miami a couple of times during the season, just watching on Saturdays, uh, watched him undeservedly beat app state, of course. And then saw Van Dyke later in the season. I was impressed with him. You know, is he one of the 10 top 10 quarterbacks going into next year? That might be a bit much. I, so Miami, 
you know, with my color coding is, is a gold green team. Gold meaning you're like in the middle. Uh, so their record was basically what it was, um, but pretty good in the returning production. And then you've got the coaching change, which, you know, is one of those things that could go either way. Do you get an immediate jolt sort of like Tennessee did? Um, or is it something like, you know, Scott Frost first season at Nebraska, which is probably the more likely option where, you know, you're going to be changing a bunch of things. So you have all this returning production back, which probably smooths that transition a little bit, but it, it just depends on how far you're going to take things and probably depends on where you evaluate the team is, is like, Oh, can we be good right now? Then maybe we'll save some of this building for later. I'm guessing that probably is what the coaches have found once they got to Miami. Uh, I, I like them as a team going up. I think they're I would t- take them to be top 15 over they're going to fall from number 20, which is where they're starting. And it is interesting to point out bills, Bill Conley's system doesn't like factor coaching changes into account. And so Miami just rises naturally 12 spots from where they were in the beginning of January. So now you add Mario Cristobal's, I guess, addition to the fold and you say, okay, is he, you know, how much of an improvement is he over Manny Diaz? If you ask people in Miami, they'll say, well, a lot. Mario Cristobal committed to Miami, being invested in Miami, having those kind of ties to Miami. Um, you know, people probably feel like he's going to be a little bit better at Miami than he was even at Oregon over his last couple of seasons. Um, so I, I guess, you know, how much of a, of, a, of a rise do you get even then? Who is your third team? Where do you want to go next? Um, well, I'll go to the team. I think a lot of people expected to see um, Tulane. Five one score <laughs> losses last year. They're seventy first in SP plus, uh, rated as zero point nine points better than average. I think they will be drastically better than that. This is a team that, when the season uh, win totals come out, I will bet the over on almost no matter what. Uh, so, like I said, had those all those close losses. But in fact, in the Pythagorean win differential, they were second only to, of course, Nebraska, which had the biggest, most baffling, bizarre number I have seen in that. And my spreadsheet goes back to 2007 on that. Uh, They were at minus basically four and a half wins. Uh, Tulane was minus two and a half, which is still pretty, pretty high based on all of those years that I've looked at. Two and 10 team, like, are they going to go bowl eligible? I think they could get there. But returning production, they're really solid too. This is the highest rated green, green team for me. Um, so I will be taking the green wave and their win total. Are they going to jump up and like challenge in any way that the casual college football fans going to notice? Probably not, but they've got their quarterback returning as a third year starter. And Willie Fritz is a good coach. So give me the green wave. Give me their cool helmets. Give me all their cool uniforms and give me a like $10 win ticket on their over. Okay. Let's pause here and let's talk about Nebraska for a second. Cause you just brought them up. They're 34th in S and P plus you see, you know, those Twitter accounts that tweet out college football analytics graphs. Nebraska's offense is always ridiculously high, always top 20. And like any kind of advanced metric that you want to look at, we know the defense wasn't the problem. Once again, top 35 in S&P Plus. What the hell are we doing with this team? 
2022? Were you shocked to see them higher or did you just kind of like, you just kind of grin and shake your head and be like, here we go again. Let's see what happens. No, this is about, so it's pretty close to where they ended 2021 in the final rankings. And it's about where I, I thought they might be a little bit lower because their returning production isn't great. So, so in kind of the context that I've laid out here, green, green, red, red, et cetera, Nebraska is really interesting. They're, they're a all the way green in terms of uh, their record accurately reflecting how good they were, which it did not. But then you take away, it's not a team that you would say, oh, they're clearly headed up based on returning production on its own. You throw in all of the change and the number of transfers they have. I really am having a hard time assessing like where I think the Nebraska season is going, which is a hard thing in a year. But with this one, you bring in all those new transfers and the new coaches, like it's going to be, I think, kind of chaotic spring. And it leaves me as like, they're almost a blank slate. So this SP plus is meant to be predictive based on, you know, all of the things we described, how it looks back at the past. Um, and Nebraska's just got a lot of extra context this year. So it's going to be interesting because I have no real lean on the Huskers other than I will say, looking at these rankings, uh, they're 34th, but I think they're eighth or ninth in the big 10, which is key. Um, the good part of it is there's only three big team, big 10 teams that are, have a rating less than zero. So viewed as worse than the average team, Nebraska gets to play all three. And I don't like to do a lot of schedule, schedule watching at this point, but there is at least that. Yeah. Did you have any teams from the big 10 West on your list? No. Yes. One. One. Let's get to them now. Okay. This is another slight uh, trending down for me. Purdue, number 27, 12.8 points better than average. This one I'm a little nervous about too because their record was dead set what it should have been. Like based on the formula that I use, this was a team that, yes, should have won nine games. Um, And they did. And they're not that bad in terms of returning production. They bring the quarterback back, which is probably the biggest thing you need in, in a Jeff Brom offense. I just, George Karloftis and David Bell were two players that could have played on probably any team in the country, unless you're talking about like maybe Georgia, Alabama level of talent. And even then, <laughs> I think they'd still play. Losing two guys like that is just a lot. And I, I'm not quite ready to put that much trust in Purdue. I think they're going to be pretty trendy in the Big Ten West, and they deserve to be. Uh, it's not a team I'm ready to say is that much, you know, basically two touchdowns better than average. Uh, I think they'll be better than average, but not by that much. So here's the counterpoint to that. It doesn't matter who is playing wide receiver in a Jeff Brom offense. Someone's going to have 1,000 yards. Um, is it Milton Wright? That was really good last year. Or who was the guy that transferred in? Yeah, that, that it was Milton, right? It was Milton, right? 700. Okay. I have it up right now. 732 yards and seven touchdowns. He feels like, like the heir apparent. Yeah. Rondo more than David Bell than Milton, Wright, And then, you know, that, that two years down the road, they're going to have somebody else that was a four-star recruit, the high four-star that you're going to look at and be like, how the hell did Jeff Brown get that kid to, to Purdue? And then he puts up a thousand yard season. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with them because like, 
in a Jeff Brom offense is having the quarterback intact, like more important than it, like 90% of other offenses. Like, like if you look at returning production across the board, like how, how much should you weigh quarterback in a Jeff Brom offense versus what you would in, I don't know, any other, like, you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like it feels so, like a big, big deal. Yeah. So generally, and you know, Bill Connolly talks about this every time he releases his returning production for the season ahead, like the weights, like returning receiving yards has the heaviest weight on um, that side of things followed closely by quarterbacks. So it's generally, you can just assume continuity in the passing game is what you want to have. So you'll have the quarterback, you'll, you'll lose David Bell. I'm not sure who behind him they, they may lose, but like you said, it's a Jeff Brom offense. So I would probably weight that quarterback even a little bit more. And, you know, it gives me pause to like look at Purdue and see them win nine games while they rush for less than three yards of carry. But that's kind of what they always do. Like they're never able to run the ball all that well, or at least that consistently. So it's another team where, I, you know, I kind of viewed this. I've often thought it would be fun to do a college football stock market game based on ratings like this or something else where you get a hundred points and you get a buy or sell five teams at the end of the year, you know, you, you see where they go up and or go down. That's kind of how I thought about this exercise and, and produce one where I don't think they're going to drop. They're not going to be a bad team by any means, but I'm not taking them to be 13 points better. Okay. So here's a fun stock buying um, scenario. Are you, if the conversation is independent team making the college football playoff, would you take Notre Dame or would you take BYU? BYU is on my list. I would take BYU. Yay. Um, so they are a they are a red green team um but by the method action network uses to calculate returning production which is based off of work that Connolly had did and kind of tweaked for a transfer portal era a little bit they're number one there um which i assume you know and they were a team that was a little bit fortunate when it came to some of those close games but they weren't supposed to be any good at all. Like their returning production was terrible going into to 2021 and didn't matter. They found a way to get it done. And now they'll benefit from basically having everybody back. Yeah. They finished 46th in S and P plus last season, and they have jumped to 23rd in S and P plus projections for 2022. Um, they return, like you said, they're, they're, they're first nationally using Bill Conley's returning production numbers. They're, they are number one in the country. They return 97% of their defensive production and then 87, 88%, excuse me, overall, which is second behind, I think only Stanford. I think Stanford is first in bills. It's not loading. Um, the schedule is rough. They got Baylor. They got at Oregon, Notre Dame and Vegas, Arkansas. Um, but like, and then they're also going to lose a 1,600-yard, 23-touchdown running back. But they've got Jaron Hall at quarterback. Um, as a sophomore, he completed 64% of his passes. He threw for 2,600 yards, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions, three rushing touchdowns with 307 rushing yards. They get back their top two pass catchers and 91% of their offensive line snaps, which is one of the fifth, one of the five highest um, percentages in the country. And that, that comes from the action network that you referenced. Um, 
they're like, like if you look at if the if the context of the question is BYU or Notre Dame, like Notre Dame's got new stuff around. And BYU, yes, they have to replace the running back that I just mentioned. 1,600 yard, 23 touchdown running back is a big deal to have to replace. Um, but I, I, I really like Jaron Hall in the the little bit that I've that I've watched of him. And I kind of think like if are they going up or down from a 10 win season? I kind of feel like they're going to go up. And if you yeah. can go like 11 and one against the schedule that they play, that's a playoff team. Yeah, I would agree. And I'm, you know, I'm assuming maybe I shouldn't since BYU is independent and it's a little bit different. Like I'm assuming that Baylor game is early, which is, which is probably good. Baylor. Pretty sure it's like the first or second game on their schedule. Yeah. Baylor, I know loses a lot at the skill positions will be really good at the line, but you know, that's a, that's a kind of football game BYU is built to play. So I, I like I like that a lot, and BYU as a team, I, I looked pretty hard at, um, and just you just look like you mentioned it, and I think this kind of tells a story. Look at the jump from last year's ratings to this year's ratings. It's a good example of because we're not talking about schedule or anything of just how much value that kind of returning production can have. Definitely, um, I've got a team that's really low in the rankings that I feel like should will finish higher that we can go to next. Or if you want to hit another one of your teams, we can. Nope. Go for it. Okay. I have Washington state on my list purely from an entertainment standpoint, because Cameron Ward, the incarnate word quarterback, which gets my tongue tied up every single time I try to do it. Um, coming over to Washington state with his head coach, Eric Morris, who will now be the offensive coordinator at Washington State. The air raid is returning to Pullman. They're calling it the Coog raid, which is wonderful. Um, Cameron Ward threw for 4,600 yards and 47 touchdowns while completing 65% of his passes in 13 games last year. He led his team to the second round of the FCS playoffs. He played in big football games. He's a big guy. He's got a strong arm. He's a pretty good decision maker overall. He is a guy coming from the FCS ranks to the FBS ranks that you look at and you say, I don't really have a ton of questions about his ability to translate his game from one level to the next. Um, when you're talking, I mean, we had this conversation with Samori Toure last year. Like when you're talking about FCS guys jumping to the FBS, like the level of play at the FCS is rising, but especially at the top, like th there are good players at that, at that level. And then I think like when it, adding him to Washington state feels like the kind of like low stakes, high payoff situation that could be really good because like if, if they're six and six or five and seven, like nobody cares. It's Washington state. And if they're nine and three or like, like let's say they start the season, I don't know, like seven and one or something absurd like that. Like everyone's all in on, on Washington state. It's the best feeling ever. Um, but they are 70th in S and P plus projections. And they are so low because they rank 119th in returning production using bills numbers, 52% overall, 32% returning production on offense, which is 128th. And then 72% on defense, which was 42nd. Now that requires a little bit of context because, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. The way I read it was that he did not include 
he, he kind of worked transfer numbers into the equation for his returning production model. But if a guy was coming from the FCS level to the FBS level, he did not include that calculation in a team's returning production. So if you look at a team like Washington State, which saw its starting quarterback last year go to a new school, it looks like they lost their starting quarterback and didn't replace him, which obviously is not the case. Um, they got to replace a lot elsewhere, but like Cameron Ward is exciting to me. And I feel like, you know, they're a team right now that's, that's 70th and S and P plus they're probably going to be similar in like FPI and, and some of the other model-based projections that come out. Um, but could they finish like in the fifties? Yeah. I think that'd be fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a really good catch. Cause you're right. FCS transfers aren't included. And like, I understand why you would do that. Like this might be the one where you have to make an exception, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's Washington state's going to be like, is going to be must see TV on late Saturday nights, at least early on, because I'm super excited to see Ward play. It's got strong Western Kentucky in 2021 vibes where they just basically downloaded an entire offensive brain trust from a yep. successful FCS offense. Incarnate Word almost beat Baylor in the opener last year, you know, and we know Dave Aranda's no joke. So it's going to be super intriguing. That's a, that's a good pick. In fact, it makes me feel worse about uh, the pick that I made, but it's a good transition. I'm, uh, I went with Washington tepidly. Um, so high expectations for the Huskies going into last year weren't quite as bad as their record indicated. They're okay in terms of returning production. So the play here for me is really Kalen DeBoer, the new head coach. Um, I really, really like him. Um, I was a little bit sad to see Washington snap him up. Should Nebraska be in need of a head coach in any time in the near future? Uh, he's a, I think he's a South Dakota guy. I think they're South Dakota, North Dakota, kind of cut his teeth, uh, building Morningside in, in Iowa into an NAI national championship team. So I'm going to, that's one where we talk about how these coaching changes, you know, they can either kind of go up or down right away. This is one where I think Washington, we obviously liked the talent. Uh, we, I mean, collectively college football sphere, uh, like the talent there, I think you'll be able to have a pretty quick impact and make the Huskies at least a little bit better than, than where they start out in these rankings, which is 61st. So fun fact, before last season started, my brother wanted to start a college football podcast and he wanted me to be on it with him. So we recorded this first episode, which was like dark horse teams, overrated, underrated teams heading into the new college football season. And during that podcast episode, I, I thought, and did homework on it, I thought that Washington could be a dark horse Pac-12 title contender. Something got messed up with the recording of that audio. <laughs> we didn't ever publish the episode, and then it just kind of died. We didn't start it. My brother started classes, and there was a bunch of other stuff going on. We just didn't start it. And we looked back at it at the end of the season, and we thought, man, miss, 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 miss. It's really good that this podcast never like saw the light of day. Because particularly the Washington one, like four and eight last year, they got their coach fired, pushing dudes on the sideline. Like it was a mess last year, but their defense was like, was especially against the pass was a Washington defense. Like they got two corners that are probably getting drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Um, I just don't like Michael Penix Jr. 
Yeah. It, is that is that wrong? I just I just I'm not I'm not in on him. I mean, he's he's good when he's available, but he's never been available for a full season. Like I think I think they so Washington's problem, I think last year, and really the reason, well, I mean, we know the literal reason Jimmy Lake's no longer there, but the reason they were faltering even before that incident was like, it just didn't seem like he, he played the wrong hand when it came to, so he's a defensive guy to what he wanted to do with their offense. And I think that's something that DeBoer, that, that's his side of the ball. He can fix pretty quickly. And, and obviously DeBoer was at Indiana. Um, so you have that familiarity with Penix. So I, I, I think the question for me isn't so much, do I like him or not? I think he's good enough for you to win a bunch of football games. We saw that with Indiana two years ago. Um, but, you know, is, is he one of the best quarterbacks in the country? No. But I'll take that kind of Indiana familiarity and just my overall esteem for Kalen DeBoer as a coach and, and roll with the, the Huskies. You know, I think they ended up coming out of a coaching change about as well as they could. Maybe not number one even in, in their own state because given everything that happened to Washington State and how they, they came out of that, yeah, Cougars. Cougars might be uh, might take the top spot there. This will actually be interesting. We'll have to revisit this. Which team finishes higher in SP plus, the Cougars or the Huskies? Because they're pretty close mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, uh, it's also interesting. The Huskies are ahead of USC in SP plus projections, <laughs> which which is just wonderful when you look at it and and think about it that way. And like one more note on on DeBoer, and then we can move on. Um, Dylan Morris, which was Washington's starting quarterback last year, led the Pac-12 in interceptions thrown. Um, DeBoer's guy at Fresno State, Jake Hayner, had 33 touchdowns and threw for 4,100 passing yards. Um, so, like, there is a there's a pedigree coming over in the new coaching staff of of high quarterback level play. Um, so, I, you know, if it's Dylan Morris that wins the job, if if Penix isn't healthy, or if it's Penix, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I'm just not, you know. And everything you said is perfectly fair. I'm just not a, a big Michael Penix guy. And I think, you know, you're, they're kind of banking on like his best season was obviously with DeBoer running the show at Indiana, but that was in 2019. And, and Penix has had a lot of injuries since then. Um, so we'll kind of see what happens. I have Illinois as the last team on my list. And it's, it's not because like I was surprised that they were at 83rd which is where they're at. It's not that I was like, I think they should be higher. I think they should be lower. I just don't know what to do with Illinois right now. They finished 2021 64th in S and P plus they were 67th in, in FPI 75th in Sagarin. So right around the same area, they returned 51% production in 22, which is bad. Bottom 10, 51% on offense, 51% on defense. They got to replace the quarterback. But like, do I need to be super concerned that you have to replace Brandon Peters, you know, or Art Sitkowski? You know, I'm not, I'm not super concerned. Um, like with Illinois, for me, it's just kind of like they have an actual identity. Bert got them playing a certain way at the end of 2021. And I just kind of wonder with them if this yearly cycle of like, well, Illinois was pretty decent over the last half of the season, but Never mind. They're losing everyone. They got to replace everyone back to the bottom of the Big Ten. Like that's got to reverse course at some point. And like if you look at the way 
you look at the way they started last year. We saw them against Nebraska, and they look like they would they would maybe win one more game the rest of the season. Like they beat Nebraska, but they didn't look good doing it. And then they lose to UTSA, and you're like, well, this game's this team's going to win two games all year, yeah. maybe. And then they beat Penn State, they beat Minnesota, they beat Northwestern, they hung tough with Iowa, they they hung tough with a solid Rutgers team. You know, it's not bad to lose to Rutgers last year. Um, you know, are they do they go into the 50s, 60s range and and start to like improve on each year with with Brett Bielema? Because I, I mean, and it just kind of seems like I don't know. I've, I I want to believe that this is a different Illinois team than the team that we've seen over the last you know however many years where it's like, well, you know, there are some of these moments, but everyone left. So, you know, now back to the bottom, we're done. Yeah. And they're, they're at a spot where, you know, strangely that might not be the worst thing for Bielema. I mean, wasn't it the week of the Penn state game where he basically crapped on his entire offensive line and then they go out and beat, beat the Nittany lions. Um, You know, it's, it's one of those where I think his history and his, uh, tenure as a head college football coach probably does them well. I was a little bit surprised that they were as low as they were. And if I had to to play them one way or the other, I'd probably play them slightly up um, because minus the, you know, minus the returning production, which I think is mitigated as I just kind of said. Uh, yeah. There's, there's nothing here that screams one way or the other for, for Illinois. So Given that I thought they were maybe a spot, a couple of spots too low, I would probably go trending up with them. Is the, is the Big Ten West better overall in 22? Because like Northwestern should be better, right? I mean, if we just go based off of, of tendencies with Pat Fitzgerald yeah. coach teams, like they're probably going to win the West next season based on how bad they were the season before. Like, like do you think the Big Ten West is, is just better top to bottom? Like who's finishing last in this division? <laughs> um. Is that a kind of plead the fifth on that? Um, <laughs> I don't think Nebraska is going to finish last, but I hadn't thought that, you know, they would be anywhere close to that in the three previous seasons either. Um, so it's, it's a good question. You know, I mentioned earlier, there's, I think I said three, but there's actually four teams that have a sub zero rating in SB plus Rutgers, Indiana, and then the bottom two are Illinois and Northwestern in that order. And Nebraska will play all four of those teams, I think, before like the second weekend in October. So, you know, not to sidetrack us back into Husker talk, but that's probably not the worst thing, I guess. Well, this is a Nebraska uh, podcast after all. Yeah. You know, there is some impetus for Nebraska to get a lot of work done early and to be ready to go out of the gate. Um but Northwestern, I like, I totally get it. They, their rating is probably deserved. It's just, it's, it's hard with how they continually bounce. And they, they do that consistently where going into last year, I mentioned Tulane was my day one over total Northwestern was, was my day one under total a year ago. They just lost everybody. And, you know, it was, it was pretty, that was a team that screamed. They are going to regress and they, they regressed even further than I thought they would. Now I think they'd probably progress a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I, I don't know who's going to finish last in the big 10 West. And then the thing about it, the reason it's so tough to sort out is it always feels like so tightly grouped, you know, occasionally you have those years where Wisconsin runs away with it. At least that's what it's been most recently, but this past year, you know, you went into that final weekend with Iowa, Minnesota and Wisconsin all technically alive for winning the division. It's just, 
it's tough. It's, it's a slog, I guess is the best way to put it. And I do think the division is overall is better. Um, Nebraska getting better might be the best way to kind of prove that. Uh, and then what happens with Purdue? Those are kind of the teams in the middle there that I think could go either way. Yeah. There's just a big like mush of a middle when you yeah. get past Wisconsin and, and I mean, Iowa has, has questions that got to be answered. It's just kind of a mush of a middle. And so like, you, you ask the question who finishes last in the division and you could talk yourself into like four different teams and you could talk yourself into those, any of those four teams, like not necessarily having a terrible year and still finishing last in the division. Because it feels like the, the, the level of play in the division is getting better. Yeah. Like, like we, like we know that Northwestern is going to be a well-coached team with Pat Fitzgerald. What, what does the talent do to their ability to win games? Was the talent available do if Illinois is, you know, a Brett Bielema coached team, like they'll be tough. If Nebraska is better, they'll be tough. Um, you know, it, it gets, it gets tough <laughs> quickly. It gets tough. Do you have any teams left on your list that we haven't hit? I have one more. Um, All right, let's get to it. Does the name Austin Kendall mean anything to you? Oh God. <laughs> I think Oklahoma could use a quarterback right now. Well, they can't have him now because he's going to lead my Louisiana Tech Bulldogs from their 114th preseason rating, minus 12.1, to something vastly superior to that. Um, Louisiana Tech was a team that was, they were, a, they were another green, green team for me. So good returning production. Not quite as bad as last year's record uh, made it seem, but the record was bad enough to get their head coach fired. Sonny Cumbie is in Louisiana tech is a team as a program. That's just better when it's throwing the ball all over the yard. And now they've got Austin Kendall, formerly of Oklahoma, formerly of West Virginia to probably at least challenge for that job with, I think two guys with starting experience back. So I'll take Louisiana tech going up. I have absolutely no notes about Louisiana tech. So I have <laughs> absolutely nothing to offer this conversation. So I like it. Good pick. I like it, Picasso. I mean, there's not a lot of room to go down, so it just <laughs> be a little bit better. Hey, you know, if you're if you're you know a college football team at that kind of level and you want to be better, just throw the ball 60 times a game, see what happens. You're yep. gonna be in a lot of fun games, and people are gonna be watching you. Yep, and I think that's what the Bulldogs will do. So have at it, Sunny Combi. Cool. I don't have any teams left on my list. So unless you want to talk about Oklahoma um, at seven, they were right there. We can, but we certainly don't have to. Well, I guess here, here would be my question as someone who's still, you know, in plenty of Oklahoma circles uh, and probably has a pretty good grasp, a better than average grasp on that team. We know that SP plus makes, does not account for a new coaching hire but would you expect under Venables the Sooners to progress or regress? At, based off of what they did last year, like I think they were a worse team last year than what they should have been under Lincoln Riley. But then you have this question of, you know, they start out seventh in S&P plus projections, which feels too high for me. Like it feels like, do they finish the season in the, you know, 13, 14, 15 range? That's where I would probably put them because 
you just have to you just have to ask how much of a drop off is there from Lincoln Riley, who everyone outside of Norman, Oklahoma, or I guess the state of Oklahoma views as a top 10 coach easily to a first time guy. And there are a lot of people that are that are really excited about Brett Venables, and he's been an elite defensive coordinator over the years. Um, not just good, not just great, elite. They've been really good on defense. So he should be able to coach that defense to be better. <laughs> but uh, Ted Roof as the defensive coordinator, um, you know, I, I just I just wonder like what is what's the drop off from Lincoln Riley to a first time head coach at a place like that? And they're losing, you know, their defense has to be better. Their defense was not good last year. And they're losing um, two big guys on the defensive line. They're losing their best pass rushing linebacker. They lose both safeties. Um, you know, lots of, of new assistant coaches. I just wonder if like, you know, I, you, when you're at the top like that and you start talking about regression, like one percentage point, two percentage points, like is a lot at the top like that. So like, I don't know, maybe they slipped to 14th, 15th S and P plus maybe they're, you know, eight and four, nine and three and not playing for the big 12 in his first year. That's kind of where yeah. I'm at. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at. I would be at with Oklahoma too. Obviously a team Nebraska will see um, and we'll see early this year, which will be, which will be interesting. Um, Venable's, First time head coach. He's been such a football lifer and part of a successful program for the majority of that. Like, I think you, I personally like kind of, you know, make note of that and maybe reduce my expectations for Oklahoma a little bit, but not as much as I would for a lot of kind of coordinators coming into that spot. It's just that and Oklahoma's recruits well, They're, they'll have plenty of talent. You know, it's just going to be unproven in a lot of cases. And it's, uh, <laughs> the talent loss is just is massive in terms of the guys that that departed whether it was for the nfl or for a, a bright shiny new life in los angeles and you know it, it the other the, the kind of the longer term thing with me is oklahoma with venables being a defensive head coach like are they gonna are they gonna have to win big 12 games like baylor well i guess they're not gonna be in the big 12 very much longer so um it might serve them well to kind of go that route. It's just, I, you know, through from, I wasn't alive during the Switzer years for the most part of it. Anyway, at least the beginning of the Switzer years, but like Oklahoma, well, even back to the forties and fifties has been like offensive innovation, offensive innovation. So this particular trajectory for them is, is interesting. Yeah. I mean, like I, they won 11 games last year. Yeah. Are they going to win 11 games with a new quarterback and a new head coach and a new everything on the assistant coaching staff? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, that seems like a, a pretty big ask. It'll be interesting to see what their win total is to, to open season outside of Nebraska. I have no idea who they who they play other than that. Um, but it'll be it'll be an interesting one. But like if, if you question that publicly, you get yelled at as a hater. They play <laughs> UTEP, they play Kent State, they play Kansas State, they play at TCU, they get Baylor at home. They get Oklahoma State at home. They get Iowa State on the road. Really, the big thing with them, and it, it's worth talking about, like who else in the Big 12 do you trust because yeah. of how much Baylor and Oklahoma State, who start off in the 30s in S&P Plus projections, 
how much those teams have to replace because it's a lot. Those teams have to replace a lot. Yeah. So like that's, lo- that's part of it. Yeah. I'm looking at back to the 2021 numbers, like Oklahoma state was not a team you would have projected to do what it did this year. So, you know, we've talked about this, like we're all trying or we're both trying to be like, well, here's what's likely, or here's what's probable, or here's why we say maybe it's not. Um, Teams like that do happen. Oklahoma state happens. They were a team that was pretty close to red, red. And uh, here we are. So, yeah, I think the big 12 piece of it is, is a big factor that that schedule UTEP and Kent state, both bowl teams last year, but both teams I think are trending downward going into 2022. And a lot of times when you get a situation like what you just outlined with Oklahoma state, when you see them better than, than what anyone expected them to be, you look at coaching and like, if you talk to people in Stillwater, you talk to Oklahoma state fans, like they'll tell you by and large, like that was one of Mike Gundy's best coaching jobs. And Jim Knowles at defensive coordinator was a big deal. Um, So I'll be curious to see how Derek Mason fares in that new role. He took a pay cut to leave Auburn, (laughs) which I guess, you know, (laughs) it's probably worth it (laughs) with the way that Auburn is, is going right now. Um, but yeah, so like if, if you're if you're in the situation that like Oklahoma is in, like you look at coaching, what does Brent Venables do in year one? So um yeah, we got everyone. This was fun. It was fun. Thanks for doing Go this. to Lane, go Louisiana Tech. It's a big year for me in the state of Louisiana. Clearly, yeah. Um if we're if we're doing like best uh mascot helmet uniform color combination kind of deal if we ever do did that podcast Tulane was number one Tulane it, it gets a perma spot at number one there it, it's excellent it, it is excellent and and obviously like everyone else I love the wave logo but I also love like who else is green and blue like yeah nobody so points for it, originality it is a it's a it's a truly uh wonderful wonderful color scheme um, Brandon, what, what's, what's new at Hale varsity? What's coming? Yeah. So we just, uh, as, as we record this, just got our February issue off to print. Um, so people can look forward to that. we got a big baseball preview there. Um, Drake Keeler, who's been doing great work for us since he, he hopped on with us as a editorial intern in the fall, uh, did a really nice story on kind of a history of black women athletes at Nebraska, which, you know, his point of view, and I agree with him was that often gets overlooked. Um, we got an interview with Lana Hendricks, speaking of uh, branding and marketing and color schemes, uh, some pretty interesting stuff there on just kind of Husker marketing and Husker branding and everything that goes into that. So that issue is, is on its way. And then we're, we're ramping up for spring football, had a slight uh, site redesign, which hopefully uh, people have had a chance to see at this point. I think it cleaned some some key things up and just made things a little bit better and easier to navigate on that front. Yeah, it looks good. It looks really good. I think I messaged you randomly, probably pretty late one night, which is a dumb thing to do for somebody with a small child, uh, but it looks good. Thank you. Um, so- it actually, late at night's usually better because that's about the only time where I know he, he's once he goes to bed, he's usually to bed. So I, I've, it's become a time when I get a lot of work done. After oh, that's nice. 7 PM. Yeah. Once he goes to bed, I have um, a buddy who had a kid and his for like the first couple months, 
he would like message me at like three o'clock in the morning because he's like, yep, we're doing shifts and he's he's still awake. So I got to be awake. And I'm like, dude, I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. We so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to ever mention it because it's like talking about a no hitter a little bit. But we decided to do sleep training and we did it. And it was like, you know, painful for about two and a half nights. And then since then, uh, knock on wood, he basically sleeps from seven to seven. So somehow, some way we've, we've managed to get that piece of it. Right. At least. Well, I'm going to knock on my desk and I would ask everybody that's listening to this at home <laughs> to find some wood that, that is near you and knock on it so that, uh, Brandon's life and sleep schedule can stay manageable. Brandon, I'll let you get on with your day. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Anybody that wants to continue reading hailvarsity.com content, specifically Brandon Bogle's content, because you should hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe. You can get web coverage. You can get the magazine. It's all excellent. Go do it. Brandon also has a podcast that you can subscribe to. It's not in season right now, but it'll come back for the season. The I-80 preview podcast. Uh, there's a number of Hail Varsity podcasts that you guys can find and listen to and subscribe to. This show and all of them are a proud part of the Herd at Media Network. Shouts to Cam for producing this every week. Shouts to you guys for listening every week. Shouts to Brandon for being on this week. Stay safe and we'll be back next week. A Hood at Media Production.